You're listening to Redemption City Church. For more information, check us out at redemptioncitychurch.com. So can we just welcome them, give them a hand. Thank you guys. Nicole, can you pray for Ty before he preaches? Father, we just thank you so much for this opportunity, God. I thank you, Lord, that you have placed this word upon him, Lord. And we just ask that you would just have your way upon this day, God. We ask for revelation for us. God, we pray that we would walk into these things, Lord. We pray that, Lord, you would be glorified in every single way today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Wonderful. Well, good morning, everybody. How are you doing? And the rest of you are just here. That's cool. That's good you're here. But it's great. Great to see you. Great privilege to just share God's Word. I always delight and overwhelmed when I get to preach the Word of God. How many of you know it's a privilege to preach the Word of God? I also want you to know it's a privilege to hear the Word of God. Every time. We haven't stopped worshiping. Thank you, Sandy. We haven't stopped worshiping to now hear the Word. Everything we do that's done for the glory of God is worship. And so we're going to continue to worship the Lord through the Word and through responding. I really do appreciate the opportunity. It's great to preach in this church. Delighted by what it is God's doing in us and with you. And uh, very excited for what the future still holds. Appreciate just being part here and seeing it and cheering on as best as we can. And just having the opportunity to be here, seeing our sons and family just being raised up is really cool. So well done to the leadership. And uh, well done to God for what He's doing in this season. I'm going to ask you, please, if you have a Bible, to turn in it to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1. And while you're going there, and I will get to it, hopefully, that is the plan to get to that scripture. But I do want to just share a couple of things, if I can, while you're turning there. And uh, a few years back, uh, Bono, which is the lead singer of U2, anyone heard of that band? If you haven't heard of U2, we will pray for you after this meeting because you need to hear about U2. But I, I'm not here to promote them in any way. I'm also not saying that Bono, the leader, the, the singer, the lead singer is a Christian. I'm not here to judge him. That's the Lord's decision. But I do want to say that he did something quite significant years back. And he was invited to speak at a national prayer breakfast uh, on the National Prayer Day in this great nation. And he was invited by George W. Bush. Uh, to come and kind of address that day in Washington all the heads of all the faiths and all those who stood in, in, in kind of in the front line for those faiths. And he was addressing them. And, and don't quote me on exactly how, what he said, but he said something to the effect addressing all these leaders of the church all over this country. And he said, you know, you the church, you need to stop doing your thing and asking God to bless it. He said, instead, what you need to do is find out what God is doing and get behind what God is doing because what God is doing is already blessed by what God is doing. And again, friends, maybe he's not a believer. I don't know. But what I want to tell you is he's quite prophetic in what he has said. And I think it still should ring through and echo through into the church today that we are not here, friends, to do our thing. We are not about our thing and trusting and hoping that God will bless it. God is not calling us to do it and ask 
Him to bless it. God is calling us to make sure we're doing what it is He's called us to. And we know that what He's doing is already blessed by Him. And that's not a cliche. That shifts our focus to everything we're called to do and everything that lies ahead for us. I've been studying through the book of Joshua, and I'm delighted that Dave spoke last week around out of the Joshua text. Uh, but I've been reading through it for quite some time because I, I just love to be challenged and stirred by the Word of God. I, I don't want stories. I love that people have stories to tell. I want the Word of God. I, I want to read the stories of Scripture because God intended those to be there to challenge us, to stir us, to encourage us, to change us, to become more of who Jesus has called us to be. And so I wasn't studying for, give me a message, Lord. I was just reading through in my time through the book of Joshua. And then Dave spoke wonderfully last week around that. But you know, there's an interesting story in Joshua 5. We're going to get to Ephesians 1. I'm not, I'm just, this is the intro. I get to preach here once a year. So here we go. It's a year's revelation. But uh, no, I'll just, uh, but, but honestly, Joshua chapter 5, don't read. I, I challenge you to go read. I've challenged my sons. Go read us over the last few days. But you know, Joshua 6 is the story we always reference, and we start in Joshua 6, but we need to go to Joshua 5, and just a few verses before chapter 6, and it's the story where God calls Joshua to take a fortified city, the city of Jericho. The thing you've got to understand about Jericho is it was so fortified, there was no way into that city, and there was no way out. It was walled, fortified, it was untamable, unbreakable to get in and to get out. An amazing story is that if you read the context, Joshua has left his army, he's left his people, and he's out there having a look, and he walks up, and he sees a man standing with a sword in the air. I mean, this guy has drawn his sword. How many of you know when a sword's been drawn, that means it's war, it's time to fight. And, and he had drawn his sword, and he was holding his sword, and, and Joshua walks up to him, and, and I think he asked the right question. It was a question of concern and courage. He walks up to a man standing by himself who appeared from nowhere. His army should be back. They shouldn't be standing there. So who is this man? And Joshua walks up to him and says, excuse me, sir. He didn't say that, but he said something to that effect. Are you with us or are you with our enemy? Now, how many of you know that? That's a pretty decent question. It's worthwhile asking when a man's standing with a sword and you're about to go to battle. Are you going to ask? I don't know you. I've never recognized you. So are you kind of with us or are you with our enemies? You see, friends, in that context, I think that's where we often get things wrong. We want to know who's on our side or on their side. And it's a legitimate question, but in the response of this man, we realize we're asking the question the wrong way. We're actually seeing it backwards. And I think when we try to do life backwards, we can't walk in the things that God has for us. And so the response of this man, and this man was not an angel. This man was God. This was Jesus, who was the commander of the army of God. And, and he looked to him and he said, I'm neither with you or them. Now, that sounds like a politician right there, but that was not. I'm not making fun. I'm just saying no one wants to make a stand. What? He, he says, I'm neither. What kind of response? Should, he should, shouldn't he say, well, I'm not with you or with them, or I'm with them, I'm with you. Uh, he, he just says, I'm neither with them or with you. Why did he say that? Because he wanted Joshua to realize, I'm the commander, the captain of the army of God. And I'm not here to take sides. I'm here to take over this battle because this is my battle, not yours. 
Now let that sink in because, friends, what I'm about to share and what God is sharing for us is we looking at life the wrong way. We're looking at the mandate of God the wrong way. We think, let's do it, and God is with us. God's saying, I'm not with you. You're on my side. I'm not on your side. If God be for us, who can be against us? We love to quote that. But actually, we better be on God's side for God to be for us because he's not backing what we're doing. We're on board with what God's doing. Does that make sense, friends? So for me, I want to ask you this morning, in light of all the th- stuff that's thrown our way, God's not asking uh, or telling you, I'm on your side, RCC, do your thing and I'm there. God's saying, get on my side. I'm taking over this battle. I am the, the one who will win this battle. This is my battle. And here's your strategy on how to take this city. And then he outlays this amazing text in Je- Joshua chapter 6. March around the wall seven times, blow the trumpet, and the walls crash down. We love that story. But a whole lot of stuff happened before. But God wanted Joshua to realize, you're not doing my, your thing, you're doing my thing, and actually, I don't take sides, I take over, I take this battle, it's my battle, get on board with what I'm doing. Now, I recognize in this room, some of us are facing radical stuff right now, some of us with health, and maybe issues with health and divorce, and I mean, I, 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 we're not exempt to any of these things, and we're crying out to the Father to help us through, and I want to just tell you this, get on His side, and we guaranteed we can, and we should win the battle because the battle belongs to God. But when we look at it, God, help me please. You see, we often see all these attacks against us and we take them personal. But I wanna tell you, if we're on his side doing what he's called us to do, then those battles are actually geared to him. He took over that battle and he won it. They had a part to play, but he won the battle. And I, I know some of what we're going through, and I know some of the future that is, is outlaid for us as a church and for God's followers and people who will follow Jesus. It's laid out for us, but we've got to make sure we're on His side, not He's on our side. We can't approach our future backwards. It's got to be we're on God's side. So that's great for a church, but how about individuals this morning? Are you and I doing our thing and asking God to bless it, even if our hearts are good and we isn't attacked? But are we saying, God bless, please help me, Lord? Or are we saying, Lord, we're on your side? This battle belongs to you. Let that sink in, honestly, because we can throw scripture and quote scripture and pray and ask, and, but get on the right side. And I, it helps me understand this is always going to be bigger than me. What I love, friends, about that is this it means we have a heavenly calling, which means. We get to partner with God. We get to partner with God. We love partnership. We love that everybody's involved. But you want to tell you this, we get to partner with God. And the thing I want to say about partnership with God is we got to know what is our role and we got to know what His is if we're going to walk in that big picture of what He's intended for every one of us. The good news this morning is we get to partner with God. Is that awesome? And the response was simply this. What are your marching orders? And the orders were take off your shoes, your sandals. You're standing on holy ground. Get on your knees and worship me. That's how we know this was not an angel or a man. This was Jesus. 
And he got on his knees and he worshiped. And in that place of worship, the breakthrough came and the revelation and the strategy. And we all look for strategy and we need it. But it doesn't come from a book or download from someone or a preach. It's on our knees recognizing whose battle this is, who owns the battle, and who we're serving. And in that place, he gives you strategy. Friends, we need some sandals off holy ground. Those are the, the commands from the, the, the captain of the host of the army of God. Take off your shoes. This is a holy moment. So much do, but no do. First get, so you get to do what I'm doing in this season. Somebody said, if God be your partner, then you better make your plans large. If God be your partner, your plans better be large. And I, I, I'm just straight up shouting and talking and throwing some truth here. We all get to shrink in what we're doing because we're so focused on our role rather than on God's role. And we have a part to play, but again, we're trying to remind us, we're part of His plan. He's not part of ours. So let's find out. Let's participate with Him. Know our role in it, but know this. It's going to always be bigger than us. Do you know what's interesting in the, in the four Gospels? All four Gospels carry two miracles. There's a whole lot of everything else surrounding, but there are only two miracles in all four Gospels. And the first miracle, the most important, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There is no greater miracle than Jesus being raised from death to life. And so all four Gospels show us that the death and resurrection of Jesus, the greatest miracle of all time. But there's another miracle that's in all four Gospels. Only one other miracle. And while it's seen different and explained different, it's the same miracle. Anyone know what miracle that is? What's that? No, sorry, bro. I don't want to just wrong. But it's a good try. Thank you for trying. But it's actually, sorry, Brad. It's actually, that was a rhetorical question for those of you who don't know the answer. It's, thanks for trying that, dude. Courage. But seriously, I'm not trying to make, there's only one other miracle. And guess what it is? It's the feeding of the 5,000. Now, we all know that story, don't we? And we love to hear about it and talk about it. But I want to tell you something. Can you give me a bit of license this morning? Why does that miracle, again, any, no other miracle but that miracle, feature in all four Gospels? Well, I, I, I want to suggest it depicts life itself. Why? Because the vision that stood before Jesus to feed 5,000 plus, it was more than 5,000 because the, the Bible tells us there were 5,000 men plus women and children. So closer to 15,000, but let's just stick with the number 5,000 because that's in there. 5,000 people in front of Jesus and Jesus said, find out what we have. They come back and say, we've got two fish, five loaves and two fish. How many of you know the provision in their hand was not enough to feed the, the people in, in front of them? How many of you know it wasn't enough? I mean, you don't have to be an accountant to know that. It was not enough. Five loaves, two fish, 5,000 plus people. Just want to tell you, not enough. All four Gospels tell us that. Why is that? Because I believe, please hear this, friends, the vision God has for us will always be bigger than the provision we have in our hand. This is not hyperfaith, prosperity, Christianity, Americanisms. This is gospel truth. And if we, the church, live by what we've got, we will never walk in the vision God has. God always intended the vision He has to be bigger than the provision we have in our pockets. And so the challenge for this church, for us as individuals in this room, are we going to live by the provision we've got and allow provision to determine God's vision? Or 
Are we going to allow the vision before us that's always going to be greater than what we have to determine God providing as we say yes and obey Him into their future? This is not faith. This is not hyper-faith. This is the call of God. It will, if we're partnering with Him, it's going to always be bigger than us. And I believe God wants that to be because God doesn't want us to take what we have and use it to, so we get glorified. It's always leaning in and leaning in. And I tell you, the future that we're all walking in globally as the church, it's determining not what's in your hand. It's important, but it's the vision before us that motivates us. And as we walk it out, God provides. That's what happened in that. They didn't just multiply when they said thank you. They took what they had and they used it in vision to feed those people. And God just blessed them and multiplied and multiplied. But most of us wait for the multiplication before we step into the vision. God will never allow that. You know, I'm getting to this, I promise. If I don't, come back next time, a year's time. All right, but, no, no, but let me just, one more thing I want to say. In Gen, uh, this creation, in creation, Genesis chapter 1, God created, boom, let there be, let there be. And he just spoke and there it was. And then he said, let us make man in our image, in our image. And he spoke and he made man. And he said, be fruitful and multiply. Now, do you know that that was in chapter 1. He gave Adam his mandate to multiply. Now, can I just give me a bit more license here? Everything's there except the one who can help him multiply. Eve doesn't show up to chapter 2. Why is that? Because God wants vision to be presented before the provision comes. Otherwise, the provision is what we focus on rather than the vision. And friends, I'm not trying to preach offload my latest and greatest revelation. I'm trying to live this out. And I don't want to allow the provision I carry to determine the vision God has for His people. Because we're partnering with Him. He's not partnering with us. Is that all right? You're not feeling hyper-faith. I hope you're not. I'm trying to downplay this truth, but it is so real, so evident, so now for this church. So now. Are you going to allow what we've got? And let me just say lastly in this, we'll never have enough, but there will always be enough. That was for free. See, God, let me just tell you this, guys. If we're partnering with God, then God is always about more. Always about more. He is not about what was. Can I suggest it's not even about what is. It's what's still to come. God is a God of more. The Bible's very clear. Jesus said, the things you've seen me, John 14, or verse 15, 12, 14 verse 12. The things you've seen me do, he said to his disciples, you will do. And then he went on and said something even more radical and even greater things than this. If you read through Scripture, God always wanted His people to have greater blessing, greater anointing, greater power, greater glory, greater inheritance, greater mountains, greater inheritance, taking ground and storming the gate. I mean, that's God's intention from the outset of creation, and it still is for this church and for you and I as individuals here this morning. God wants you and I to know there is more. And, and the challenge for us is that often we see mountains as obstacles, and sometimes they are. But mountains can be part of our inheritance. And my prayer has been over the last little while, and you've got to know that in living in this city, this region, those mountains are there. They're magnificent. I mean, ask Nicole. I drive, whenever she's in the car with me, I'm like, look over there, babe. Look at our mountains, my mountain. How beautiful are these mountains? They're overwhelming. Every day they look different. 
Imagine if they were obstacles. They're not. They're part of our inheritance. Where God spoke to us to move to this state, this nation, from Australia. I was sitting at the beach overlooking this amazing beach. The beach. I love beach. That's where I've grown up. I'm all for beach. And God said to me, your valley season's over. It's mountain time. That doesn't mean go there and give faith to move mountains. That means go and take some mountains. And some of us in this room, in our faith upbringing, is that this mountain, move it, Lord. I need faith with mustard seed to move mountains. Yes, but maybe the mountain you're trying to curse and move is the mountain. God's saying it's part of your inheritance, Caleb. And so may God give us wisdom in this season to discern which is a mountain to take, which is a mountain to move. But I want to suggest some of the moving we're trying to move is actually part of our inheritance. And God wants to give us courage today and every day to take mountains, not just move mountains. You're right. Let's read this great scripture. I told you we will read it. We get in there, Sandy. I'm trying. This, just, just to say as we get here. I, 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 I'm a huge believer in vision. Honestly, I believe vision is strategic. I mean, Proverbs 19, 29 verse says, where there is no vision, the people die, they perish. I, I'm hugely a believer that we better cast vision and walk in vision. And without vision, people die or they lose their way or they, they cast off restraint. They become lawless. So I hugely believe in vision and vision is important. I also am hugely a believer in strategy. Part of our role is to hear God and strategize on how to take great regions, cities, and nations. Yours, in this church, we gotta hear God on how to strategize to take this city and to reach cities and to multiply and campuses and sites and church plants and how to raise people up and all that. It's all strategy. But can I say that we also need to understand culture? And I think that strategy and vision are important, but culture holds those things together. The culture of this church is vital, as vital as strategy and vision. The culture we're developing, and the thing I want to remind us this morning is, if we're not developing culture, culture is still being developed. And can I suggest, the culture out there is developing the church culture. And how many of you, it's not giving us courage, it's helping us become exactly like the culture we're trying to reach. Now it's not an us and them thing, but God is asking of us this morning and again and again to develop and cultivate a culture in this church. To be the people God's called us. Where there's such opposition against the church, opposition against what we believe, this exclusivism that Jesus is the only way, it's nonsense, put it aside. You need to blend in more and become more like us, otherwise we don't want anything to do with you. And how many of you know God didn't put us here to buy into culture? He put us here to reference and reveal the culture of heaven to the people who are desperate for something of reality and authenticity. And so the, the, that, what Dave spoke last week on that Joshua chapter 1 verse 8 and 9, let me tell you, that and Isaiah 54 have been the prophetic words over all my life. And I think they're both great. How many of you know, if you don't know what to prophesy, just prophesy Isaiah 54. You can't go wrong. You can't. The Lord says I want to strengthen and strengthen and increase and all this. It's great. It is God. But if I've heard that prophesied over me. But Joshua chapter 1 is probably the most I've had in my whole life from a baby. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and, be strong and very courageous. Be strong and courageous. In actual fact, I had a guy when I was living in Australia on our team bring me a Braveheart sword. Have you seen William Wallace? You know, I'm not endorsing movies like TK does. That's dangerous. I went and watched that movie. It's a great movie, but bad things in it. But anyway, 
You forgot that movie. Top Gun. I was watching it with my wife again. I'm like, oh, flip. Fast forward. Oh, dear. That's, it's 80s. That was bad days. Okay, but it is one of my favorite movies. This, I'm not recommending Braveheart, okay? But I want to tell you that Braveheart story, William Wallace, you know the story? And he had that big sword. That, and I got a friend when I got handed this team 15 years ago who brought me a William Wallace sword from South Africa to Australia when I was living there through customs. I mean, friends, to get food through the, you go to jail for bringing food. You try and bring a sword. And he brought me a sword. It's a six-foot sword. It's this huge thing that Chris has hung on my wall in my office. And, and on it, guess what it said? Joshua 1 verse 8, be strong and courageous. I've got this thing staring at me all day. A big sword saying, be strong and courageous. And to be honest, growing up hearing this, I thought that means I better shout louder. I better be stronger. I better be. And I want to tell you, courage is not us being more. I want to tell you, I love what Dave said, but I want to say, don't try and be something God hasn't called you to be. It's not a feeling. It's not a put on. It's not you and I shouting louder so people listen to us. It's not us getting in people's face more. It's understanding what it means to be courageous. It's not us doing more. It's more of Him in us that gives us courage. And I want to talk for the few moments I have left simply from this text about being a people and cultivating a culture of courage because this church has to cultivate that courage. We've got to be it so we can do it. Now, I don't think of a, there's many scriptures that show us courage, but, but a church, the Ephesus church, the church in Ephesus. Friends, if you want to read about it, go read Acts 18 and 19. And, and you see this church that was planted, it was birthed by Paul in this revelation of Christ. And he laid foundation of Jesus. It was amazing. And you know what it says of that city, Ephesus, that the name of the Lord was held in high honor. How many of you know it takes courage for not the church, for the city to honor and revere the name of the Lord? How many of you think Westminster and Colorado and De Denver, America needs to get that revelation again? And it's not going to come through the government. It's going to come through the church who is fearless, who is real, who's full of courage, but not put on revealing Christ to the world. And so Paul prays and he writes to this church something of his prayer. And I want to just highlight four cultures here and we're done if I get to them. All right, let's read. What are some cultures? How do we develop a culture as a people? of courage. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 17, please. Verse 17. Paul's writing to the Ephesus church and he says this. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Now, can I pause again? And I know you've heard me and others say this. I even put notes up there. I hope you can get them if you don't, if you want them. But be careful asking for revelation. How many of you want revelation? None of you, please. Well, I must confess, I prayed for you this morning very early that you'd all have it with me, revelation. But can I tell you what, friends? Be careful asking for revelation. You, you want to know why? Because I still believe revelation in its simplicity is God's invitation for you and I to change our lives, for adjustment to take place. And let's be honest, we love to talk a change. The only way, Mark Twain said, the only one who loves a, wet, a, a, a change is a wet baby. Why? Because no one really likes change. We talk about, yeah, bring change, but change is not easy. And so I want to tell you what happens through Scripture is God's revealing truth comes to us, and we don't adjust. If we don't adjust, because we have to, something has to adjust for God's truth to be my truth. 
How many tell you, friends, the teaching that God brings across this pulpit to this great church and the scriptures we get to read ourselves, it is such awesome truth. But what do we do with it? Most of us, including me, is we just hear it here, leave it here. How many of you know that's not adjusting? God wants us to adjust for revelation. God's invitation for truth to become our truth means something in my life has to change. And so Paul says, I keep asking, the glorious Father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why? That you may know him better. So so the message says to make you intelligent and discerning in knowing him personally. So can I also just say this this morning, first thing is a culture of Christ. Now, I know that's on the heart of our leaders and it's on our heart, but I want to tell you this. If we're not developing a culture of Christ, please hear this. We will never have true biblical courage. He's not a tag on or an add on. He's not someone we reference when we don't know what to do. He's the center of it all. He is the one who gives us courage because he is Christ. He is. And friends, there's so much religion in the church, so much religion in this nation, that this nation, this city is rejecting the church because we've become religious. And God never intended it for us to be a religious people. Jesus took care of religion on the cross. And the moment we lose relationship and make it about stuff, that moment we become religious. We become a stench to Jesus and to the world. Why? Because we don't need more religion. We need revelation and relationship. Are you okay? Now, I want to just say it's not up to these leaders to get us to fall in love with Jesus. It's not their fault if you don't love Jesus. They're on a mission to love Jesus for themselves. And you and I who are privileged followers of Jesus, it's up to us to contend for a personal, ongoing revelation of who Jesus Christ really is. And that culture needs to be developed in our own lives day in and day out. And the moment we lose that relationship or that revelation, guys, we'll never have true courage and never fulfill the mandate God has for us. It's so important that we contend for this ourselves. Jeremiah 9, 23, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom or the strong man boast in his strength or the rich man boast in his, but let him who boasts, boast and understand that he knows me, the Lord. That's the boast we carry, friends. Not the stuff and praise God for the stuff you have. And someone got up and said, you don't need a new car. I'm all for a new car. Give me a new car. Stuff's great. But we can boast in one thing. We know God. See, Jesus is our head, friends. He's the head of the church. Colossians 1 tells us, verse 18, and he, Jesus, the head of the body, the church, is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so in everything he might have supremacy. Or in everything he might have preeminence. Can I say, in everything he'll have first place. First place. Can you imagine a church where Jesus is first place? Not on a Sunday, every day individuals who truly put Jesus first. Friends, what courage can we gain from that? Jesus is the head of the church. He's the head of our lives. He's my head. I'll lead the NCMI. It's the most incredible privilege. But there is a head above me. And my role as the leader is best I bow before the head if I'm going to walk in the mandate and the people with us. And there is this challenge in our culture and in our Americanisms where they love celebrities and we love to put people on pedestals and whatever. But Jesus is the one who's glorified. And can I say this, friends, that I think the church today, honestly, friends, by observation, is that Jesus is prominent in many churches and many lives. But I don't think he's preeminent. In other words, he has a role and a place, but he's not first in everything. 
And you don't have to like me for that. I'm contending that for me. And if I'm going to have courage, he best be first in it all. This culture has got to be developed again and again in this church because we are Redemption City Church. It matters what you think about Jesus, but it matters how you've submitted and are you bowing to Jesus daily in total surrender because he's worthy of it all. He's the head of everything. Lordship is so important, friends. And uh, in Matthew 26, you know the story where Jesus having the Last Supper and he's sitting with, imagine being in that room. I often think of it. One of you in this room, only 12. It wasn't like a whole bunch of people, just 12 in the room. And he says, one of you are gonna betray me. I mean, friends, imagine being in that room. And so they one at a time begin to say, surely not I, Lord. Surely not I, Lord. Not me, Lord. And then Judas, who sits at the right hand of the Father. I mean, Jesus. Jesus put him at the right hand, at the place of honor, knowing he was the betrayer. Isn't that amazing? And he says, and Judas, the one who does betray Jesus, says, surely not I, Rabbi, teacher. Everyone else saw Jesus as Lord, but the one who betrayed Jesus saw him simply as a teacher. Friends, it's so much easier to betray Jesus when we don't see him as Lord. It's so much easier to say, ah, Jesus, add to my life. No, he becomes my life. For me to live is Christ. And that world out there needs to see Jesus being lived out day in and day out, not a tag on and an add on on a Sunday. I'm challenged by this too, because honestly, people have tried to get me to move on from Jesus. Come on, Tyrant, enough Jesus stuff. Let's get to the stuff. This is the stuff. For Redemption City, honestly, the future is bleak if it's not centered around Jesus Christ all day, every day. He is the one we go to. Are you truly surrendered and submitted to Jesus? Question you can only answer. If we, if we are, then Jesus, we go to him for everything, even our decisions. He's bringing changes. We're surrendering our wallets. You can't, until following Jesus actually costs us, you're not really following Jesus. He's moving our heart to care about people. Because he deeply cares about them. We don't need evangelists to tell us how bad we're doing. We just love Jesus. We'll love people. He's the heart of the church. He's the hope of the church. Friends, Jesus Christ is very, very important. Just read on quickly. I'm about to land this. Verse 18. He goes on. He says, can, can I just, let me just say this about our walk with the Lord. I mean, I, I know that you've heard me say this. And I make no apologies because I think it needs to be reminded of. Nicole, my beautiful wife, we've been married 20-something years. Honestly, and, and I, I, I'm not an emotional person. Ask my sons. I don't think, anyway, don't ask them. Don't. But when we got married, I was overwhelmed when Nicole walked down that aisle. Honestly, I was not usually lost for words, lost. I was overwhelmed when I, but how, how many of you know, there was a, that's in a moment of saying yes. But then I had to live that out every single day for the last 20-something days, 20-something years. I mean, Caleb... He just got married yesterday, and that's awesome. But I mean, what he said yes to last night, he's now having to live out right now. And I'm not saying the pain of it, the reality of it. So what kind of marriage do we have when we keep going back to the photos and say, remember the day we got married? And every time I talk to Nicole about our wedding, she pulls out the photos, and then we say how pretty she is and how beautiful the moment was. And how many of you know, my wife doesn't want to know 20-something years ago how I felt. I should be more, and I can say, honestly, as God is my witness, I love my wife more, and I'm more overwhelmed today by the grace of God that he has entrusted me with that wife of mine. However, I better love her more today than I did the day I saw her walking down the aisle. Otherwise, I don't have a marriage. I had an event. It has no reality. 
Are you there? Oh, that's great. Yeah, talk time. Preach preach about marriage. No, no. I want to bring it to another level, more important. How about your walk with Jesus? I'm, I'm, you know, I got saved in 1972 on the 4th of July. Oh, that's great, sir. And where are you today? No, no, that's where you got saved. Great. Where are you today? 40-something years. You should, friends, without an accusation, just an observation, we should be more obsessed with Jesus today than the day we got saved. All the songs we sing are take me back to the day I met you. No, no, take me on into greater things. Do you still love Jesus? Are you mad about Jesus? Are you in love with Christ? Do you get offended when not to fight people, when they slur Jesus or misrepresent him or speak of him like he's not that? Jesus, ah, it's just them. Friends, something's got to grip our hearts again. We have a revelation of Christ and this church has a culture of Christ first in everything. And when you have that culture, you have courage. Paul reminded them and says, I keep asking that you'd have that, that spirit of wisdom that you may know Christ better. Verse 18, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in all that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches in his glorious inheritance in his holy people. In other words, a culture of calling. We love the Christ focus. But I want to tell you this morning, Paul was not writing to sinners. He was not writing to the world. He was writing to the church. And he was saying, church, I pray that you have the revelation of Christ and you have a culture of Christ being developed, but you also have a culture of calling, purpose, destiny. I don't know how to say this to us this morning without trying to cheer us on, but we have a guaranteed succeeding purpose in God if we're on His side and we're responding to His call. And I've watched, if I can be very honest this morning, Hatika and the guys have tried to bring guys and challenge guys to step up and you can step up and it's not up to leaders. But friends, it's because we've lost our hope believing we are called. I'm just going to tell you, good luck with culture, good luck with courage. If you can't settle the fact you did not choose Him, He chose you and He's picked you and He didn't just save you, He called us. We've been called. And I think today's church is more focused on surviving culture than it is about transforming culture. I'm challenged by Romans 15 verse 13, probably the most challenging verse in the Bible for me. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Joy and peace. You lose joy, you lose peace, you lose hope. That's why Paul says, may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace. That you may overflow with hope. Friends, again, I'm I'm not trying to be funny. Maybe on Sundays you overflow with hope. I'd love to go and ask your workmates or your, say, hey, tell me about Patrick. Oh, he's just a jerk. He's an idiot. Why? Because all he does is moan and complain, serving the Lord. That's not true, I hope. <laughs> no, wouldn't it be, see, that guy, there's something about that guy. He has this radical relationship with someone. He even believes he knows Jesus. That's awesome. And by the way, he overflows with hope. I mean, friends, we find that hard to find in the church today. I come in, and I'm sure like you, we just feel the heaviness. And that what's happened? We've lost our, we need to understand and develop and contend for a culture of hope that when people engage with us, they understand. We overflow, not by something we put on, by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
This is not a, wow, help me, Lord. This is courage. You want to talk courage? Be strong and courageous? Well, Christ, and secondly, this thing of, what did I say, calling. Understand your call. Man, I don't deserve what I've got. I know that. People remind me all the time. You know, Tyrant, I've got guys who know me before Christ, and they send me photos of me in bad position, bad, doing things bad. I'm like, where did you find that? Oh, your friend that I met told me this is the Tyrant we used to know. I'm like, well, praise God. I'm not that Tyrant. I don't know what to do. I wish I could delete. That's why I'm not on Facebook. I don't want my history to find me. I can't change it, but I've been called by God, not because of anything, but by the gracious hand of God. He picked me. He called me. I can fight him and say, no, Lord, all that stuff disqualifies me, which it does, but he qualifies. And you know what? He calls. And the hope is I'm going to run as hard as I can in the call because he said yes, and he doesn't make mistakes. And I'm saying that not for me. I'm settled that. There's some of you who are still trying to fight it. Stop. Sorry, stop. Stop fighting your history. It's over. Stop. He doesn't. You read, when he launched his church, he didn't pick one scribe or one Pharisee. He took ordinary people with a bad history, and he said, I'm picking ordinary so I can make extraordinary things happen through ordinary so I, God, get glorified in an order. So here's what I want to say to you. Let your past go this morning because courage needs to come. You can't help others if you're still struggling in your history. You can't, friends. Some of us, all of us have messed up. All of us, including this man standing here. But there's a God, a gracious God, who doesn't just save me. He doesn't just hold me to get saved and get me to heaven. He saves me into his rescue plan, partnering with him. And we all have a call. And I want to say Redemption City, in this moment, in this season of taking ground, God says this, you have been called and you need some hope, not in a feeling. You best live with an overflow of hope in this season. Devil uses the method of gradualism to wear us down. Temptation, friends. I want to tell you, the devil doesn't, he, he seeks to destroy us. But he has only been given the power to distract us. And so we are destroyed by being distracted. Don't let temptation take you out in this season, please. Trials. Some of us are going through trials. And we know some of And we all go through them, believe it or not. But in trials, I watch people just lose out and lose hope. In tragedies, some of us face tragedies. Friends, we're not exempt from any of it. And in tragedies, I've literally watched people bomb out, lose hope, and just hang on for dear life. God has not called us to hang on. He's asked us to walk in. We need to, to keep on moving. Quickly, I've got to move. I've got all these silly notes. What was I thinking? Thirdly, let's read. Verse 19, he says, and his incomparably great power, dunamis, power, dunamis, for us who believe, the power is the same as the mighty strength, Kratos. He exerted energia when he raised Christ from dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above a rule and authority and power and dominion. And over every name that is invoked, not only in the present one, but also in the one to come. Another culture needs to be developed is a culture of confidence in his power. I've written competence, capability, can do. I don't know what else. But we need that culture, friends, of confidence in the power of the Lord. Verse 19 is jam-packed with interesting words. And, and I believe what Paul's talking about is this exceeding greatness of God's power. He intends for us to imagine beyond imagining. He uses four power words, dunamis, where we get our word dynamite. He, he uses energia, harnessed energy, power at work. He used kratos, the presence of significant power, manifest power. And iskris, or forgive me, I can't say them, a strength, whether physical or moral. And he's using this four-pronged hammer to hammer in the reality of the power. We just celebrated a few weeks back 
the resurrection of Jesus. Come on. And it was Easter. And everybody, I mean, Super Bowl Sunday for the church in America. And people will come and double meetings. And we fired it up. And Friday, the great Good Friday, and Jesus died. And Jesus died. And Saturday, we don't know what happened, but something happened. And then guess what? Jesus, Sunday's coming. Sunday's coming. Sunday's coming. Resurrection Sunday. And we blow the trumpet. We declare the resurrection of Jesus. We sing songs. He was dead. Now he's alive. And friends, we, we cheer this incredible truth. And then we wake up Monday morning and wait back to life, back to reality. And in a year's time, we'll celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Friends, we're guilty, all of us. But I want to tell you, that one event that happened, happened for eternity, never to happen again. And he intended we live in it day in and day out, not every Easter. Do you live today like he's given us that power? Think about the power that raised Jesus from death to life. Think about, Paul's saying, think about the power you've got. I'm a diehard sports fan. Forgive me, it's one of my sins, I guess. I love sport, and so should you, and you should support the Broncos, just so you know. But anyway, we won't talk about that. <laughs> but I also love soccer, and guess what? It was very silent here last week. We won the Champions League, Liverpool, just so you know. And it's very, just a few of us, the rest of you all quiet, it's fine. We won it. And let me tell you, I, was, I wanted to grab the microphone last Sunday and get up here and say, you know what, friends? Our team won last night. We won but you know what I also remembered is that they won the Champions League, they got a trophy, but the next morning they can celebrate a trophy, but that trophy is now up for grabs again. Someone can come and contend. So they actually got to get back to practicing. We got a trophy, but now we got to try again because we're now being contended for this trophy. We celebrate the trophies, yet they got to keep winning. But Jesus doesn't have to keep winning because he's won. Now, I'm not helping us here, but you cannot have courage if you don't understand the power that raised Jesus from the dead. We sang about it today. I love the song. Salvation is enough. Jesus is enough. This Revelation chapter 5. I mean, friends, there is one who's worthy. I mean, we've heard it this morning. Why is God saying that? Because we'll never have courage if we think it's a thing that has to keep happening. I, I had a revelation in this church once. I was sitting over there worshiping, and I remembered that I keep watching soccer, these games, when I already know the score. And because I'm diehard, my friends tell me, hey, Tyron, because it's always on when we're here, and I've got a phone connected to my watch, and it tells me, well done, you won 5-0 again or something. And, and because I, we love soccer, my kids are like, Dad, don't tell us the notifications are off. We don't want to hear. We go watch the game. How many of you watched a game where you know the score? I mean, come on, this is church, confessions. I do that. But you know what's in? Yeah, thank you, sir. One of us are honest. I know the rest. But let me tell you this, it's quite interesting watching a game when you know the score, especially if your team won. Because what happens is you watch and you go, gee, it doesn't look like we're going to win, but actually based on what they're doing, it doesn't change the score. We know the score. Remember that? And then I started thinking, imagine these players, if they knew they already won this game, how much more they'd enjoy the game. I mean, seriously, they'd actually probably have a smile and say, gee, hey, here's the ball, have a shot. And hey, you, no, no, but seriously, rather than this heaviness, I've got the, the nation on my shoulders, I better win, my club's looking. I mean, friends, you agree? They'd probably enjoy the game, say, we won. Hey, man, come and join us. Pooh, here's the ball. And we'd be like, gee, that's interesting. But they know the score. Friends, I'm not trying to be funny. We know the score. We know the score. It's not based on our performance. Stop trying to perform for the score. This culture, we know the score. Doesn't mean we're exempt from divorce, pain, disease, or anything the world faces. We face exactly what they face. But the difference, the difference is we know the score. 
And I don't think we play like we know the score. We think it's all based on what we do and our accomplishments and our battle. And are you for him or for us? Neither. Why? You're on my side. I'm the one who fights the battle. This is not hyper faith. We best move our thinking back to where he is. And Paul says, you better know the power that you've been given. It's the same power that raised Jesus from death to life. Dunamis, Holy Spirit power, power to overcome, not power to survive, not power to make it, not power just to get to heaven one day, how glorious that will be, but power to be a victorious people, not a surviving in this culture, but transforming the culture and the nation and this city. And you can't do it if you're not living in it. And the last point I make is this. Just read with me as he lands this thing, Paul. He says in verse 22, and God, God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. That's a culture of compassion and consistency because of our position. I, I listen to TK desperately. I'm just saying stuff like, what God can do for a church that will love broken people. Friends, you can't put that on. I mean, who loves broken people? I'll be honest, I don't. Why? Because they hard work. The problem with broken people is they arrive broken. And we want them to arrive healed. If they just arrived healed, we'd have a lot of fun because we're all on the same page doing the same. But God didn't put them to be arrive healed. He put us here to help them because we were all broken. Are you, are you there? Let's be honest. Come on, I'm being honest. Maybe you love broken people. I don't. I want healed people. I want whole people. I, I want people knowing why they're here. But they don't arrive like that because I didn't arrive like that. And so we, we, we have to understand what I think Paul's saying is what gives you courage and consistency and when may I suggest even compassion is knowing where you're seated because Christ seated you where you're seated. It's very hard to reach people when you're earning a position. It's grotesque. I was thinking about it this morning. How grotesque it is when people have to prove stuff. It's so off-putting for the church. I want to run away from people who are trying to prove they should be. I do. I really, I want to run away from people who have to prove stuff. Because you you, you've, you've got a chip on your shoulder and an agenda to prove yourself. We're not called to do that, friend. We are seated where we're seated simply because Christ seated us with Him. Meaning what? Our position is settled. We don't minister for a position. We minister to all God's people and the people out there from the position of being seated at the place where he put us. And it's hard to dislike and look down on people if you haven't earned your way where you're seated. It's so easy to look down on people if you earned your way where you are. But you didn't. And when we lose that, we lose it all. But when we understand we are seated, it gives me a heart to love all kinds of people. All people, broken and healed. It also keeps us consistent because we're not climbing a ladder to get to there. We simply seat. Friends, we need consistency for courage and we also need compassion. And Paul says, you get this, you're seated where you are because of, my, because of Jesus. You know, Paul, this great apostle who wrote most of the New Testament, he says he's the worst of all sinners. And if you study the life of Paul, I want to tell you, he did not do the stuff we do. He wasn't an alcoholic. 
He never committed adultery. He never cussed all the stuff we would say is bad. You know what he did? He was guilty of the most, in his opinion, what made him the worst of all sinners. He thought he could be made righteous in something he could do. So he spent his whole life earning righteousness and trying to do it for his nation, for Israel. And anyone who came and brought something else, he challenged them, he fought them, even the church and this whole way of Jesus Christ, he rejected. You cannot it's something I've got to earn, something I've got to do. He said it that Gamaliel's, he said the best teachers, and he, he had a desire for righteousness. And one day on the book of Acts chapter 9, he has an encounter with the righteous one. And in that moment, he realized, I can never be made right in anything I do. I can only be made right because one who is righteous makes me right. And from that day, he fought anyone and everyone, even the super apostles who try to put stuff on. He said, get it off. Why? This is done because of Jesus Christ. The worst of all sinners. Well, I want to suggest we, the church, are guilty of that sin every day. We are who we are because of who we are. No, no, no. Because of Jesus. And that culture, that truth gives me such courage to share that everyone's equal. Everyone has a place. Let's close our eyes, please. Can I pray, Tix? Is that right? Nothing new. And I, I actually was supposed to have said this at the beginning. I, I'm not asking, do you know this? Because you, you do know this. I feel the Lord's asking, are you living in this? There's a big difference. Are you living in this? No, you, you do know this, but are you living in it? My son Jude, there's somewhere in this room, I think he was, he is, he is. He loves clothes like all my other kids and like me and my wife, I guess. And I, I've used this story, but I, I bought him a shirt. Nicole and I bought him this shirt once and he loved the shirt and thanks dad for my shirt. It was a great shirt. But he took that shirt and put it in his closet. Every day he dad, thanks for the shirt, thanks for the shirt. I was like, geez, I wonder if he really likes this shirt. Because he actually thanked me for it, but he didn't wear it. <laughs> and then on Sunday, the Lord's Day, isn't that sad? He brought out his shirt, put it on and says, hey, Dad, thanks for my shirt. And he was wearing it. And that's the day I knew he liked that shirt. See, I, I still think we, the church, even in this room, we spend our lives thanking the Lord for what he's done on the cross. We do. We tell people. We come to meetings and we sing about it and we praise him. How many of you know... The way for Jesus to really know we like what he's done is to actually put on the shirt of the finished work of Jesus. And not on a Sunday, every day. Every day walk in the finished work of the cross. Friends, when we get there, when we stay there, we're going to have courage to reach and take cities, take nations, take mountains. Don't talk about the finished work. Walk in the finished work. I don't know all of us in this room this morning, but this I want to tell you, God has spoken, God is speaking. And there's a season of running into the future he has, not walking and hoping and marching, running. But it's going to be a people who are free, a people who have courage, a people who are being strong and courageous, and a culture that's been developed in our own lives that we're going to impact people. Culture of Christ, personal. Culture of understand calling, hope to which we've been called. A culture 
of capacity, confidence in power, his power, and a culture of being compassionate and consistent because we're seated where we are. I'm going to just ask as I land this and hand back to TK, so much easier if we all just go home now, but if, if you need to respond to this message, if you need to respond to any of these four things, honestly, friends, I do believe that there are many who need to. Now, I'm going to ask you, just no one's business, just stand up where you are. We're not going to call you out, not embarrassing you. I just feel there's a response that needs to be made. Just stand where you are. No one's else's business. This business, this is the king's business. We are partnering with him. Just stand up where you need, if you need to stand up. Would you be bold enough, those of you standing, just to raise your hands to Jesus? Father, we were challenged by someone from Columbus last week. Are you highlighting this thing of courage? We're aware of some of the decisions and calls that need to be made even now as a church. Some. We don't even know them all. We're aware that some of us in this room are facing things that perhaps we don't know, but you do. But Lord, we, we don't want to just approach these things pragmatically. We want to live in the finished work of the cross. We want to live with that revelation. I, I pray for every person standing and those seated and me, Lord, that we'd have a greater revelation of Jesus, knowing him better. Not past revelation, not once before. Ongoing, reveal Jesus to us. Please, Lord, again and again and again. Undo us, overwhelm us with the manifested presence of Jesus. May we be overwhelmed. And friends, I, I'm, I just... I'm serving Jesus way more from my knees than ever before. And it's not overwhelmed by the task, just overwhelmed by Jesus. Life comes when you get on your knees and surrender to him. So Lord, I just pray for all of us, for capacity. I pray for, I pray for calling. Those who've doubted, maybe history. Maybe we've tried stuff that didn't work. Maybe our ugly history that we wish we weren't part of. We can't have regrets, worldly sorrows. We lay them at your feet and say, Lord, you call us, we say yes, Lord. Let hope arise. May the God of hope fill us, even here, with hope, with joy and peace. And may we overflow by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I do just pray, we put on your shirt of your finished work. Let's not talk about it. May we not be preachers of it. May we be livers in it. Let us live we do thank you for the finished work, the shirt. But I pray this morning, we'll take off the rags. Take off the stench of death. We'll put on the finished work, the life, the giver of life. The clean, made whole, made new. We're not bad people being made good. We're dead people being made alive. We start being born again. Not tagged on good stuff. We be born again. We're not who we were. Let that revelation break in. We're not who we were before we met you. We are totally transformed. Anyone in Christ is a new beginning, born again. Not old has come. Old has gone, new has come. We are new creations. And we want to live out of that place. And may we be a victorious people. Let 
faith arise. I ask, I believe, may we not be guided by provision. May we be guided by vision. Take us. We are all in. Use us, Lord, for your glory. Let this season be a magnificent breakthrough season at every level. It's time for Redemption City to be those people walking in the finish. Breakthroughs are coming, friends. Not one day. Let's believe today. Trust and obey. Courage. Liberation. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well done, Ty. Well done. Well done. Let's give him a hand. Thank you. <clears throat> you know, uh, two, two cities I've never been to. I've never been to New York, and I've never been to Washington, D.C. And this is what I thought of as Ty was preaching. You know, if I get off an airplane in New York City, and I've got the map to Washington, D.C., it doesn't matter how much I try. Doesn't matter how hard I try, I've got the wrong map. And that's what I loved about this word this morning. For us as individuals and for us as a church, it's a reminder. We've got to get the right map. We've got to start, live, and end with Jesus. If Jesus is occasional, periphery, or incidental in our lives or in the life of this church, we've got the wrong map. And it will not matter how hard we try. We can have smoke machines and light shows and all of these peripheral things. If we don't start, live, and end with Jesus, we've got the wrong map. Thanks, Ty. Appreciate you, buddy. Thanks so much for being available to share with us this morning. Bless you.